0: The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me Rachel Matthews. The Profile is brought to you in association with Premier Christianity magazine, the UK's leading Christian magazine. And if you'd like a free sample of that, please visit our website premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Today on the program, I'm talking to Simon Edwards, CEO of Warp Ministries, which is a Christian organization based in Stoke-on-Trent and helps released prisoners to develop a new life. Warp Ministries runs an intensive rehabilitation program, trains churches how to deal with ex-offenders and many other things. And Simon, you sit with me now. You're married, you've got three children, you're running this operation, you're a real encouragement and inspiration for others, very different from where you were 26 years ago.
1: Well, I, I grew up in the care system, so um, the age of 18 months, and it's quite mad because your life can sometimes be defined by other people's um, other people's problems and other people's choices, and and my mum and dad, their relationship fell apart. And, um, and my mum made a choice um, to have me in a ward of court for social services. Um, my dad was, um, he couldn't really do much because he was in the army. So he was, um, and it was quite mad because I spoke to my family about it. All of a sudden they had a phone call from Essex social services, but I would already been made a ward. Um, my, my, my mother was only 18. She perhaps didn't know how to express herself. I'm not quite sure but I end up in the care system at 18 months and my earliest memory of the care system was abuse That that's it it was it was abuse um, it was isolation it was feeling let down all the time um, and by the time I was six I had 18 sets of foster parents um, in my care um, for the, I had 25 placements throughout my care I can't have been a naughty child to because if if you know if, if one group of people can't work and, and work with a child, another can. So so that was my early upbringing, and and then my dad fought to get me back with the help of my nan and my grandma and stuff like that. And my mum's my real mother's um, family tried to get me back as well. And but my dad got me back at six. He was married. He had he had um, I had two brothers and a sister, and um, I was already a lost child. Um, I was sexually active at six because that was my education, um, because to me that was normal. Um, I was a problematic child in school, you know, I got expelled from every school I ever went to. Um, I was your typical statistical person that sat in the children's home, which is eight percent of children go back, go into prison. I had this journey in front of me. Now, growing up, you've always got to remember that growing up as a child, I thought this was normal. My life was normal to me. So the fact that I got abused, the fact that I got passed from pillar to post, the fact that my mum and dad, my, my dad and my stepmom couldn't 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 care for me in a way that was perhaps um, right. Um, I went back in care at nine. Um, this was everything that shaped me, and it was normal for me. and And I've been asked many questions. Well, how did you cope? And I'm like, well, how how was I not going to cope? Because it was normal. So, and the you know at nine I went and lived in Essex, back to Essex, and. Um, which I hated, I just didn't like it. I had, a, I had a mother that all of a sudden come into my life and told me that, hey, I want my child back. Uh, I didn't know her, I've never met her, didn't know nothing about her. This was the idea, so seriously, I thought it was a good idea. Um, her husband wasn't a nice guy, you know. And at the age of 14, um, she dropped me off at my dad's for Christmas, and I've never seen her since. And that's it, I've, I've never seen that side. And to be honest, I don't really want to see that side as much as I don't have any grievance with him or anything. I don't feel it's a part of my life. You know, as a grown man now, and you know, working with the guys that have been in a similar situation, I realised my identity was everywhere. Um, I, had, I had problems with sexuality in my teenage years, I didn't know, um, I used to call my uncle Mum when I was a kid. Because I didn't know the difference between a mother and a father, um, I, I I I definitely didn't know how I fitted in the family. Because when I lived with my dad, I was the oldest. Um, then you know when I lived in when I was in care, I was the youngest. Um, so when I lived in Essex, I had a Stoke-on-Trent accent. When I lived in Stoke, I had an Essex accent. So wherever I was, I was I was being labelled. I was being ridiculed. I felt lonely and isolated. I felt um I, I was relatively poor as a child um you know i remember that my my my, my real mother used to go and buy my sh- clothes from charity shops off the money of these she used to get off social services which i buy stuff from charity shops now i enjoy it but um i went to quite a posh school you know it was a it was a it was a good comprehensive school in the area i stuck out mm-hmm. you know all these things are the memories that i felt and um so yeah, she dropped me off in Stoke-on-Trent at the age of fourteen. Um, by the age of fifteen, my dad couldn't cope with me. Auntie and Uncle fostered me, uh, Roy and Jen. Um, what is mad that they tried to foster me when I was eighteen months and they were told no because they weren't married, which is ludicrous. And uh, you know they had five. They had went. They went on and had five girls, a boy. They fostered another child and ended up fostering them anyway. You know how how different my life could have been. Unfortunately. Um, the life that I then led after that was crime. I fell into the criminal network. of. I come from a place of Mir in stoke on trent Statistically at the time, Mir had some crazy statistics. One was it had more criminals per square mile with the lowest crime rate because no one robbed off their own.
0: Did you start to make friends with people that perhaps... I started to
1: make on. friends with people that didn't judge me or I felt that didn't judge me and I could also identify with... Um, but at 15 um, whenever I did something I did it in a massive way so I didn't steal one car I went and stole hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cars and then when I did burglaries I went and did hundreds and hundreds it it was it was like a a full on you know by the time I was 18, 19 I I was filling two local clubs with drugs by the time I was 20 I was debt collecting around the country and seeing things that perhaps I shouldn't have seen and perhaps I shouldn't have been involved in there's scores of people that are dead in my life off drugs, off drug addiction. There's scores of people that are dead in my life where they've, they've had their lives taken through other people in the criminal world. It's not a nice world, that's it. It's But you harden, you become hardened. It's the same hardened heart that I became as I come out of the children's home system. First time I went to prison I was 17, I had a dreadful time in prison. I got bullied, I couldn't cope. And then um, I, I, just, I just didn't like it. And then I realised I could have a fight. And then I struck back one day. And that was it. That was that was that was me. Um fighting all the time. G O D, segregation units, all the anger started coming out from childhood. And this was my life for four or five years, coming out of my teenage years into my early twenties.
0: You went into prison when you were seventeen? I think it
1: was seventeen, yeah. I went into a prison called Brinsford and and I mean it, it was a rough old place anyway. all the cultures from around the Midlands come and you had the Birmingham gans and the Wolverhampton and the Stoke and you know you had the Liverpool guys that used to get shipped out and and to be honest you know some of the funniest times I've ever had in my life have been in prison because there's unity there's comradeship there's you get to know each other and, and but some I've seen some horrific stuff in prison you know I've seen some real horrific you know I've seen people die and be stabbed and you know and had hot sugar thrown over them and you know, it's a rough place. It's a it's a mad world, and you know, unfortunately, um, it was part of my life where I grew up in, and um, I put myself there for my own choices. I, I've always took responsibility, but I I, I always kind of I was destined to do that, and um, and and now as a, as I'm forty three in in a few weeks, and and I and I talk to men in my life now that. Even though we are destined to live a certain life, we can still make a choice to live a different one. You know, the place that um, shaped me was also the place that I became a Christian. So, which you know, in, in, in it's and in it's you know, there's a great scripture where Jonah's sitting in, 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 inside this 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 whale inside, this and, and he's just moaning about you know he's having a and. Then his whole senses tells him that the situation in is crap. It's not good. It stinks. You know, it's dark. It's it's he's vulnerable. He doesn't know where he's going. He's got no control over his life. I felt like that loads of times in prison. The amount of times I felt like that in prison. You know, my last prison sentence was a life sentence for armed robbery, and um, and I didn't know when I was getting out. And I lost my my part, my ex partner, my daughter's mother, and my daughter's life wasn't good, and the mother wasn't living a good life, and you know, one minute I'm seeing my daughter daily, and then I'm seeing her four times a year, and it it was it was just a horrible, horrific experience. Plus, I had this identity crisis in prison where I was I no longer wanted to live this life, and um, and it was all that kind of stuff that I can imagine that Jonah went through and you know he had a plan God had a plan for his life and he had a plan for his life and sometimes a guy like me has to go into a prison cell and has to stop and you know my senses told me that I wasn't in a good situation but the thing that people don't realise about Jonah if he wasn't in that whale, he'd be in the sea drowning and that's the thing that they don't get if I wasn't in that prison doing that life sentence my last sentence and I've been I think 27 prisons altogether and I've probably done about 13-14 years in prison if I didn't do that, I would have been in the sea drowning. It was the place that I put myself, because Jonah put himself in that situation. God still rescued me in a prison cell. And, you know, I still sit here amazed today and and, and, um, and think about the, the work that the Holy Spirit must have been doing in such a gentle, um, very constructive, very, poignant way when I gave my life to Christ you know I I was halfway through um, this life sentence doing this tariff and um, and all of a sudden I looked in the mirror one day I didn't like me all the stuff I just didn't like who I was didn't like the decisions I was making Um, I just didn't like me and and I I made this mental choice to no longer be violent in any way how do you do that? If you're a violent person and, you know, you you give out violence, you have violence committed on you, and then all of a sudden you say, I don't want to do that. Well, you can't tell everyone else that, can you? Because they're still doing it. So the life that I wanted was not the life that everyone around me expected from me. And it was mad because this young guy on the wing, he was running around telling everyone that he wanted to basically um, slash my face because he heard that I had drugs. And he wanted to... And cut and... You know, long story short I, I just grabbed all one of him and just obliterated him and I, all my anger came out on him and, and you know and, and I remember all the staff um, hearing the commotion and, and coming out and grabbing me and as they grabbed me I remember saying to the staff because they were shocked that I had this big explosion and I said I've just done that because I'm vulnerable and the words just bounce around these rooms, and, and the staff were looking at me. Four weeks later, I had a breakdown. You know, I was 30, mid-30s, um, my whole life, i would never dealt with anything, never dealt with anything to do with abuse, or abandonment, or rejection, or, you know, I never actually dealt with the fact that there's 10 of my friends, or not more, that are dead. You know, and these are the guys that I grew up with, and, you know, now that, that's, that's treble and quadruple, that is. But I never dealt with that. I never doubt that the daughter that I had with my ex-partner that I was there to protect, I didn't. And um, I never with the fact that I don't speak to my family, you know, 90% of my family I don't bother with because I just don't want to interact with them. There's just so much that just come at one point in my life. And it wasn't a good place. Um, My heart was just broke and everything I did was to protect myself. And, you know, I was just trying to protect that little boy all the time, you know. So... There was there was this this moment in my life where thirty six years just caught up with me, and it was in a prison, and the prison didn't know what to do. We had a breakdown. Um, I tried to take um, the easy way out, but it, it's not the easy way out. It's the hardest way out because, you know, um, I took a, a, a loads of medication, uh, I did, and I, and I wrote all these letters to people in my family and my daughter and. And it was well planned, it was well executed, but it didn't work. Um, I got rushed out to the hospital um early hours in the morning and and then loads of strange things happened because the next minute the the, the governor of the jail is telling me that I, I'm being moved for an escaped attempt, and I'm like, "What?" and they come out of all this stuff that wasn't real it wasn't it wasn't true um, and i got end up getting shipped to this this higher security prison. Well in this high security prison was the lad that I had a big fight with a couple of months before. Do you know what I mean? And, and he was in his local prison with all his local mates. And I, w- I was in a situation where uh, it was I, I was gonna get attacked, I knew that. And there was a time when I did get attacked on a visit. And there was something in me that just didn't react. It was because I knew what was gonna happen. I knew that I was at such a breaking point in my life if I if I didn't stop, I end up killing someone, because it all had to come out, and I didn't I didn't understand all this stuff. You know, I've just been through a suicide attempt, but I was in a segregation unit in that prison, and I remember the governor saying to me, he "Went, right, Mr Edwards, uh, what do you want to do? You know," and I just said, "I don't know. I, this is the first time I'm trying to be honest. I actually don't know. I don't know what you want me to do." I know I don't want that. I don't want that no more. And I know that if I have to enter that, I'm only going to deal with it in one way because I actually don't know how to deal with it in any other way. And um, and I said, I don't have fear of anyone. I have fear of myself. But you know, I'm massively in fear of what I'm. What's about to come out of me. So why this was happening? That um, they said, right, okay, um, we're we're gonna we're gonna get you moved out out of the prison into another prison. But what happened was a priest came round to my cell one day and you know it's part of their duties they come round and, in the segregation unit and, and uh, we knocked on my door and hello and, and I, I can't remember his face now and I wish I could but I can't because he's, he's like he's like that Samaritan that no one's ever going to see again you know he came to my cell and he gave me something that was you know such a beautiful thing he gave me the Gideon Bible and the Gideon Bible they, they just they get Bibles in places that no one else does and you know there's that many people in prison that are so happy that they had the Gideon Bible and and I read the Bible first five or six chapters threw it on the floor didn't understand it Um, but I got on my knees and I said God I know that you are true but you need to show me and see I came to my point where Jonah had been everything around me was crap Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it stunk it was dark I had no control. I finally come to a place where I had to submit and let go of me. And I had no other answer because I've tried every other answer. You know, there's there's a beautiful a beautiful scripture about why Jesus changes the water into wine. Well, that's because he gave you the choice to try every other wine in the world. You can go out there, you can make all those choices. But when you try what he has for offer, it so much surpasses everything else that you've ever. And I came to that point where I didn't have an answer. And the only answer I had was this book in my hand called the Bible, which I threw on the floor because I didn't understand it. But I recognized that God was true. And then um, four days later, I get shipped out to a prison in Dovegate. I mean, you talk to called Dovegate Prison. Well, um, I remember. Going there, I remember being in reception, and um, at the time I was 13 and off stone. I hadn't eaten for weeks properly. You know, I, I was that stressed out. The anxiety levels were, you know, my OCD kicked in when I'm touching doorknobs three times and I'm having to. It was just my help. My head was just gone. And I, they just asked me a question, Where do you want to be? And, and and this question in my head was like, Right, where do I want to be? Where do I want to be? And, and And I said, Anyone in my age group from Stoke can know who I am. And if they don't, they can just go and ask someone. So I said, I'd like to be around the Stoke lads. And I hadn't been back in Stoke for 10 years. I'd been living a life in the North East. I'd been in jail for such a part of that. So, you know, I didn't know who was in the jail, whether they were enemies, whether they were old friends, whether they didn't know what, didn't know the climate. But I knew that if I was in the middle of all that, I knew that I'd very quickly become one of the leaders of the pack. And my brain was thinking about me. Well, I need this, I need to get a phone, I need to be in the middle of something, I need to be. And it was all about, but you got to remember that I prayed four days before. We, we forget that, you know, don't don't test God. The reception staff said, well, we'll put you on House Block 3, because that's where um, all the Stoke lads are. And I was like, that's it then, House Block 3 it is. And this, this lady come past, a woman called Kerry Hewitt, governor, but she opened my file and said you're not going to our spot 3 you're going to A wing and I was like, I don't want to go to A wing in my head and um, but for some reason they put me on A wing which was an enhanced wing I, I managed to keep my enhanced status I hadn't lost it even though I'd been told that I had tried to escape from it no one took my enhanced status off of me so by a fluke of whatever we want to call this I get back on and I walked on and and I was, I wasn't in a good place, and I was looking at all these door cards and notes, some of the names. And this wing was like the millionaires' row; it was all the top geezers, you know. It's all the, the the names that we, you know, the, the guys that are in for like, you know, being henchmen and hundred keys of coke import and you know fifty million pound VAT frauds. It was all that kind of. The great side to that wing is there's never any trouble on those wings, so it was actually the perfect place for me because they're always quiet. You know, they don't have a massive drug issue or anything like that. There's not much chaos, and I get taken down to this cell, um, cell A fifteen, and this um, officer says, um, "Simon, this is your this is your room." And, and Dovegate was great because he's called by your first name, and um, to break down all that barrier stuff. He says, "Simon, this is your room," and, I, and and the door opened, and the door in the room it had like Bible, had Psalms, had a cross, and my first thought was. I'm going to get padded up with one them bonkers Christians. Now the thing in that, the, the actual thing in that, was um, 10, 15 minutes later this guy's walked in, a guy called Darren Barsley. And, um, and he's, hi he, my mates, my name's Darren, uh, I'm a born again Christian, do you want me to pack any of this stuff away? And you know, do, which bunk do you want? And And it was just totally not normal. It was all like, hey, you know, I'm here to serve you, and you know, and, 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 I, and I just said to him, I said, I think that I'm here for a reason, you know, and I remembered the prayer from four days before. What was mad about Darren is I remember him when he was a YP in Brinsford, my first prison that I went on, and he was like the, the Birmingham opposite of me. So he was the nutter from Birmingham, the guy that had the identity issue, the guy that was violent, the guy that was the ones with the tools, the guy that would just go into any battle... You know, the guy that was the extremist, he, he was that guy from the one of the estates in Birmingham. And I remembered him. And, and you know, and, and, and God sometimes puts people in your life that talk your language. And it's a great thing we need to understand that that Jesus always came to you and then said, follow me. He didn't say, follow me. And just, he came to you first and just said, hey. And, um, and, and there's this guy in my life, um, and he had something that I've tried to buy, manipulate, to pay for, to swap. And he had a thing called peace. And he was totally at peace. And he just floated around this prison in peace. He was in the cell in peace. And for the next you know, f- four weeks, six weeks, I kept him up every night, I felt, asked him a thousand questions, and you know, I was on his case. And, and he managed to get me um, a job down the chapel, because he was a chapel orderly. And um, and I got a job in the chapel, Lordly, and and in in this chapel one day in Bible study, there was these two little old ladies, and and they laid hands on me, which you're not meant to do in a high security prison, and but they did that, and and they they they, I told them to get off me, and they said, yeah, but we love you, Simon, and um, and my whole countenance changed. I didn't want that love. People have told me they loved me before and then they've abused me and they've abandoned me and then they've made decisions in my life that I had no control over I didn't want to live in Essex with my mother I didn't want to be in care I didn't want to be leaving my dad and his family I wanted to stay in Stoke-on-Trent um, I didn't want to, to go from foster home to foster home I didn't want to be in children's home when everything went wrong I didn't make these choices but all those people had told me that they loved me mm-hmm. you know. And so what I viewed of love was sexual violence it was conditional it was all that so I didn't want this love but they pushed through and they said but we love you because Jesus loves us and he loves you and someone just broke in me and and, and Andrea and, and, and Kate and, and Andrea's told me before she said we, we just knew we had to lay hands on you because if we didn't you were just so hardened by everything and, um, and yeah and then I, I watched um, this baptism Sunday where loads of different guys in the Christian face all the different the, the, the Anglican Church came together, the Catholic Church came together, the Pentecostal, the Free Church, they all came together for a big baptism. Eight guys got baptized, some got dunked, some got sprinkled, some got spread. It was just a great way. We all did it our own way around this table, and um, and after that, it, Darren led me to the Lord late one night, and uh, and and that's it. You know, uh, a guy like me that looked like me, that walked like me, and you know, that taught like me, that had the language that I understood. Um, you know, and he, he came into my life and, um, and he led me to the Lord and it's a great lesson this you know the church needs to hear this lesson. you know we, we, we want to go out and evangelize the world, but are you doing it in the right language? you know we want to go and connect with the estates, but are you the right person to connect? We want to go out there and take ground, but are you the right person that's equipped to take ground? and um, and I, I can tell you by the circumstances that led me to the Lord. Salvation is, is a beautiful thing, and, you know, and, and it's, some of the, it's a free gift. Um, there's no condition on it except for that you accept it freely. And that's the only condition in salvation. But the bit that's the most important thing after salvation is the thing that we've all been called to do, which is to disciple. And Dovegate Prison at the time, um, not far off a thousand men gave a life in eight years, and um, they had about two and a half three hundred baptisms Um, while I was there for three and a half years you know I I cannot count the privilege of leading men to the Lord I cannot count the privilege of watching guys get baptised and reconciled with their families and their children and all the other stuff that we watched and people getting you know free from addiction and free from illnesses and all the other stuff that we watched the only thing I'd ever seen in that prison was someone raised from the dead that's it We've seen someone get healed from cancer. One thing I I actually realised is that in all that, that there's order, God's got an order. And not only has he got an order, um, there's also um, a chance for all of us to change direction. And I got to meet all the subcultures of the world in prison.
0: The profile is brought to you in association with Premier Christianity magazine, the UK's leading Christian magazine. And if you'd like a free sample of that, please visit our website, premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Premier Christianity magazine in this month's issue. We speak with the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, about praying in tongues his vision for evangelism, and how he intends to hold the Anglican communion together. And we ask, should Christians adopt the tidying up trend of Marie Kondo? Plus, discover why we must get better at handling God's gift of prophecy. All this and more in March's issue. For your free copy, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Where faith comes to life. Welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Rachel Matthews. Today on the programme, I'm talking to Simon Edwards, CEO of Warp Ministries, which is a Christian organisation and helps released prisoners to develop a new life.
1: I, I became a model prisoner overnight. Um, I started seeing the diversity of life. You know, one minute I was... I was talking with a group of guys that were going through their, their sexuality in prison, then I was talking to another guys that were going through their religious beliefs in prison and then I was talking to a group that were struggling with their disabilities in prison and there was the age and then there was a the youth and, and it was it was a great thing to see all the all the different strands that we we now live in as a society and but one day, um I, I was a reception orderly, and I did it for a long time. You know, I did it for eighteen months and and um, I watched all these men get out, born again, Holy Spirit filled, gifted. Watched them lead worship, teaching, evangelizing. Watched them change the atmosphere that they walked in because they believed in Christ. And then I watched them get out with hope and love and joy in the hearts, and people were going to receive them, and promises were made, and all the stuff that I watched, and and then and then six months, six weeks. Uh, later, six months later, two months later, you know, half a year later, wherever it was, I watched them come back in. And I watched this guy come in, and I watched this next guy come in, and, and I watched all these guys come back in. Statistically, they, they they think there's 220 Christians a week getting out of prison, but about 180 get back in. Statistically, well, there's 100,000 people a year roughly getting out of prison, and about 80, 60 to 80,000 are going back in. How is this? how how have we made an industry around this how is how is there a culture around this there's something that's not right I've watched men's life get changed through the gospel I've watched them being touched by the love of God um, be accountable be honest and their countenance to change and you know their character to be different I've watched all that and then they've got out and then what's happened and I may I, I, I I very quickly understood it um and it scared me because I realised I was getting out one day. The church didn't know how to receive them. The families couldn't cope with them. They didn't understand how to walk without telling everyone, you know, about their life, and um, they didn't know how to uh, comply in a world that they didn't understand. Because you know, the only world that they did knew was the one that they came from, and collectively it was a mess. You know, and um, and I asked the Lord one night in, in another cell that I was in, cell twenty five and I said God what's going to happen to me when I get out and what's going to happen to all these boys and he just downloaded this beautiful vision uh, about men and, and about you know homes and, and a building company and, and about accountability and all the stuff that we do here and obedience and we teach men that if you make a covenant you agree with the covenant you, you finish the covenant and nothing's quick You know, there's a patience in God and there's a you know, we teach men how to be honest and all the other stuff that we do here, and and this was this big vision, and I kept it quiet. I told my best mate Alan, you know, who I was best mates with the prison, and he laughed. What God's been speaking to you? We had this, and you know, and Alan was a, was a very important guy in my life. He discipled me, and um, I remember knowing that I'd been given something that was great, but then you've got to put that vision into practice. A walk today, we have our own detox centre. Um, a place called Liberty Farm, where we get people clean off drugs and alcohol and, you know, addiction and, um, you know, it's, it's in 110 acres of land and the cows go moo and the sheep go mare and and uh, it's a place where people really feel safe and loved. But we all start straight away with teaching them what boundaries look like, accountability looks like. We have four homes. We have two homes, uh, four men living together with a house parent. Um, Darren that led me to the Lord is a house parent, He's he's been with us for 12 months and he he's about to move on and move into his next role and And then we have the next stage is which is flats we have seven flats or we have uh, the second stage homes where guys don't need as much support or as much like an overseeing as such because they're already doing what they're meant to be doing they're already in activity or they've got part time jobs they're already going to college and Uh, Walk is holistic. That's what we are. Um, We don't just receive you out of prison. We home you. We we feed you. We um, we teach you. Our Bible studies might not look like everyone else's Bible studies. When I teach every five or six weeks on a Thursday night, I teach application. How are you going to apply this to your life then? So we talk about accountability. What does that really look like? How does that actually look like day to day with me, with you? You know, living in your home, living with your family. I'm a great believer that you can be puffed up on the word of God as much as you want, but unless you actually know how to pay your bills, it ain't going to get you that far. So we strip that back. We strip that puffed up stuff back um, because we want men to be able to um, learn how to live. Um, how does living actually look like to you? What are your dreams? You know what you want to be, or what? Oh, you want to be an astronaut? Well, uh, you might be a bit late now, mate. Oh, you want to be a you want to be a rally driver? Oh, you haven't got a driving license. You want to be a worship leader, you realise you can't sing. Um, So we're very straight, we're very honest with each other. Um, We have a plan with Mm -hmm. each guy. The plan starts before they come to us. We go into prisons and we meet the guys on the wings and we share on a Sunday in churches. And they have me um, and they have Karen, uh, my wife, and we, we, we run the ministry as a family. It's very family orientated. You go into any of our homes, you know, there's a nucleus of a the family. They all go to the same church. So each home goes to a different church. Like you would in a family, you would go to church. Uh, they have to go shopping together. They're they, 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 not going to go shopping together. They they come to Bible studies together. They you know, they look after the new guy. He might not have any finances. So there's already a pot of money in the house that they've all been putting their money in each week like you would in a family. And um, So we do all the things that we parent people. Uh, we're not only parent people, we believe in people as well. You know, I believe that you know, the guy that was an addict um, eight months ago can start college in September as a, as, a, as a plumber and do his plumbing course for the next three years. We have 29 staff between the two organisations, which is quite crazy because five years ago I walked out with 46 pounds in my pocket. We're a, we, we, we're a church that's what we are we, we we have 80 people that we we oral every day whether it's the team or it's the men that are with us we have 26 places with us I think there's 24 members at the moment um, roughly um, they're all at different stages they're at the hi what's going on stage and hey I've just been I've just met God and hey now I'm going to try and they collapse and they all get back up and they're all at different some of them you see the elders of the group because they, they see the new guys coming like hey you don't do that mate don't work that and you know, we, we, we are a place that is loving and caring. We have a lot of boundaries here. We do drug tests. We, we, we do ALCO test. So we will make sure that you, you go into your placement and if you go into college you're actually there we do all these things but at the same time we make sure that you're fed when you first come out and watered and, and make sure that you've got clothes for your children and all the stuff that is expected in the, in the body of Christ which is the thing that you need when you walk out you need all these things doing Matthew 25 teaches us that but at the same time is that we're not going to keep you in that place because that place is not a good place for you to be we need to get you to stand up now and we need you to get your driving licence and your provisional licence for this thing and you need to get your birth certificate and your bank account because this is normal, this is called normal life and um, we need to get you out with a building company and work out whether you are going to be a builder or not or we need to get you out with a you know another charity that we work with or another organisation that we have placements with we need to do these things because we need to work out what you're good at because while you're learning to be who you are in Christ you've also got to be able to walk through the world and do it and this is the biggest thing that we see, failing men come out of prison, is that they're not equipped. I'm a great believer that a man has a purpose. A man without a vision will perish. God gave us a dominion over the earth to, to, to do these things. What we're trying to teach men is how to do that. And we teach it in the, the detox and Liberty Farm first. It's a beautiful place where, you know, even in your chaos of turning up, straight away you feel peace. Currently we've probably worked with, in the last five years, I don't know, 120 guys, you know, I've watched guys get married and have children in their own homes and watch guys go out. We, we, we have a beautiful guy that I touch base with now and again. He works at probation now and he, you know, he, he's a support worker in the children's home. And We've watched guys fail. That's another thing. You know, in all success there's a lot of failure as well. You can look in at Walk and think, brilliant, amazing. Two guys died last year yeah we watched two guys we watched one guy totally get to a place of family his children every week you know restoration he got his part-time job working on site he was a bricklayer by trade and then all of a sudden you know he, he started drinking again and um, we watched him die um, we watched him he, he was found dead um, for four times the level of alcohol in his body and um, and that's not easy because and we had another guy that was at the rehab totally clean clean off all drugs and medication. And we know that he has some mental illness that we were trying to support him with and, and he in and he one day he just got up and said, going. I'm like, you know, I feel I feel I feel that I'm ever ever everything's okay. This is the most vulnerable time for any of our men is when they feel that everything's okay and they're about to leave. Um he chucked himself under a train two weeks later. And he couldn't cope. Um this is the reality of doing what we do. You know, we know some of our guys that, when they, when they think they're fixed, and we, everything is screaming out to say, you're not fixed, you're not fixed. And, uh, and then you see them on the streets begging. and um, And we try to teach guys that you've been touched by God. Nothing out there is gonna be good for you now. You can't go back to it because you cannot go back to your vomit this is the stuff that we teach the men you've already puked all that stuff up and um, it breaks our hearts to see the failure and sometimes you have to really dig deep on that and understand that in failure we do get success and some of these guys end up coming back see and their journey doesn't look like the journey that we want to do but my journey didn't the the thing about men who get, get set on fire in a prison cell is they already know that they're sinners you don't need to tell them locked in a cell. I'm in jail. I know I'm a sinner. The thing I need now is discipling. You don't need to tell me that I'm a sinner because I can't get out the door. I can't see my daughter. I can't see my ex partner that you know our relationship fell apart. I can't see my friends. These are things that I've missed out on because of my sin. But that's not what God does with sin. See see what God does, he says, I want to take your sin and I want to do everything that you've messed up with and I want to turn that into a success and the way I want to do it is I want to give you something free which is my son and 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 I've just watched scores and hundreds of men receive Jesus Christ their Lord and Saviour but then I've just watched him get out and and I understand it because we teach church now we work with churches you know sometimes we get the odd phone call and this guy's walked in and we don't know what to say and, and you know we get to do all that and you know, what are you gonna do with 20 guys like me walk into your your church one day? And, you know, and and this happened to me. I came out of prison and I walked into a church of five or 600 and I just seen a lot of stuff that wasn't good and they struggled with me and I struggled with them and, you know, and this this full on experience of being born again in a prison cell didn't match up to walking into that church.
0: I'm guessing when you're in prison that's your community isn't yeah, it but that's yeah. your community that's your family yeah. whether you like it or not that's who understands you the yeah. best Coming out from that for anybody is a shock, but having been in that place and have a church that you felt connected with, we just presume that the next church we go to will be the same.
1: Walk as a charity, we're supported by some really good churches. We have some lovely churches that we were in partnership. All our houses go to a different church and we have great relationships. I still struggle in church now, and uh, I still struggle in church it's not the church's fault it's not my fault you know there's a, there's a language there's a the, you know I, I've got 26 men at walk right now and um, I run a building company they're all rough and tough and they swear a bit and you know and it gets a bit argy bargy and you know yesterday I was standing in between something where you know men were falling out and drawing fists and it's still a language that I understand and I and, and you know I I still teach the men that it's right to go to church and to be in church and to be part of this Christian community. But here's the beautiful thing about God. God used my mess and he's turned it into success to help other people. The reason I can do what I do now is because I was that child in the children's home. I was that child in prison. I was that person that felt abandoned. I've been in the same place that most of the men that I walk with. So not only can I walk with them, but I can also walk with the church now because I do struggle in church, by I understand that church is good. I struggle in the Christian community, but I understand that I'm part of it. I understand all that, so I can work around the body of Christ and go, "Hey, did you look at the table that we we're all eating from? You know, you, you're eating that beautiful roast dinner on that side, and we might be eating this, you know, KFC Kentucky bucket on this side, and, but we're still eating at the same table. And this is the thing that that we try to teach the men here, and it's the same message that I saw. Uh, men coming out of prison, church has not been able to receive him. We need to learn to understand each other. I don't look like your typical. I don't know. I, I don't. I'm a, I'm a 19 stone bloke that you know. I have a rowdy day sometimes. Um, you know, it doesn't always look go as planned. It doesn't always look like you know what a Sunday, Hallelujah, and Amen church looks like. Not that I have any up or down about that. Um, my life you know some people might look at my life and go well that's not how you should be living a christian life or vice versa i might look at their life and we all have these different opinions but there's one thing i definitely know 100% that jesus christ saved me because if he didn't i wouldn't be doing this why would i do this and that's the bit that we we're trying to teach the men you've been saved for a purpose and we all have a purpose and that's, yeah, that's, that's basically my life wrapped up in, you know, as much time as we can get it wrapped up into. But, you know, Jesus Christ is, is our Lord and he is our saviour. But he's more than that. He's our best friend. He's our healer. He's our deliverer. And, you know, and, and, he, and he came to me in my brokenness. And he, and, he, and he said, very simple, do you know, God always reminds me the same thing. I love you no matter what and it's, it's what a beautiful message it, you know at the moment I'm making big decisions in my life and you know within the, the, the ministry and, and all the stuff and you know it's personal and business and it's the charity and all that and we're about to work out what we're doing for the next five years and I always hear the same thing from God I love you no matter what my whole life has been conditional love but God doesn't put conditions on his love and that's the love that I've experienced, and that's the love that I try to experience um, as best I can, and share with the people around me. You know, I'm not a worship leader, so I don't do worship. Um, I don't pertain to think. I'm not a theologian. I can teach out the Bible, but I'm not a theologian, so I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go and open a Bible school. Um, and this is the thing that we have to. We have to understand what we're good at and what we do. and these are the things about walk. It's it's a beautiful place to to be, and it's a privilege to 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 lead it. And I'm surrounded by amazing people. and I watch amazing men come through. But on a good day, it's amazing. On a not good day, it's it's not. It's it's hard. It's hard work, and and. Um, but I've got the life experience. See, so God says, "For I know the plans I have for you, and." Uh, and this is the plan that you had for me, and like, I feel that I'm in the middle of something that God's asked me to do. I don't always like it, I don't always find it easy, because I don't, but you've got to get to know what God wants for you. It's really important that we do that, and um, I know I heard from God in a prison cell one night, cell 25, I know that without a doubt, and and how do I know that? Because we are we're sitting in the prayer room in the walk centre, um, I know that is true um, you cannot work out how this has all happened because I don't know I, I can say I made this decision we made that decision You know, me and my wife said let's do this we come in agreement with that You know, me and the staff said hey let's do this here's a vision let's run with the vision we can do all that but five years ago I walked out of prison with £46 pound in my pocket and right now, today, we have the privilege of working with 26 people every day in different stages of their walk, whether they've just turned up halfway through, they've left and come back, whether they're moving on. And we have 29 staff between the charity and the building company. I couldn't have planned this. Um, I'm pretty switched on anyway. I've always been a, a clever kind of guy with business and stuff like that. And, and I suppose that, you know, I, I I have to take the responsibilities for the decisions I've made, and but I couldn't have planned this because I can't write the story. And as much as I want to, where do I start? Where do I finish? Because every day is a, a crazy day. Um, you know, do you know that we have the whole street? How did that happen? Well, half the street was donated to us for twenty five years. How did that happen? The value of that is crazy. Um, the other half is a beautiful organisation called the YMCA got alongside us at our early years and they said hey we want to give you this and, as a peppercorn rent and they give us this end of the street now, we pay a rent but it's not what we meant to they, they, they massively love and support us see God has equipped us all the way through and the things that I don't know people get round me and they teach me and then I go and teach others um, so from a vision this is what Walk's doing today Uh, do you know that we have our own bees and um, I think
0: I do because you've given me some honey honey
1: you know do you know that we've just brought our our first few cows Um, because the the, the, the farm that we're in is in a bigger farm and it has a massive herd of cows and, and one day we believe that we will have that herd of cows and and we don't know how that's going to work out. We're, you know the beautiful man that you know. All he, he is like Abel, and everything he sees is his. And we don't know how that's working out, but we we know we're on this journey with that man. Do you know that we we go into schools and we, we talk to kids and we get walked into asked to go into prisons and you know, sometimes I might get invited down to a police station and, and do you know that sometimes probation ring us up and ask us for advice and we work with like an organisation called the IOM, which is integrated End management and. You know they come and talk to us, and we talk to them. And, and how does this? At twenty three, Staffordshire Police tried to ban me from the city because I was so volatile. And they tried to get a legal case against me to get me moved on. That obviously didn't didn't happen. But how did that happen? How 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 did the governor of the prison that I got saved in, a beautiful man called Ray and his wife Claire, that one of our homes they brought, and two of our flats they paid for. And um how, how did that happen? Um, you can't make this stuff up soon. And that is if you if you hear from God, um, and it's a vision, and then sometimes me and Steve, we do vision training with people because there is some things that we need to do. First, you need to write it down. Um, second, you need to get a group of people that are going to hold you to account. Um, third, you need to believe, because if you don't believe, none of that's going to come true. God gives visions out every day. I believe. I was just one of them crazy guys that believed it, and um, and I've never stopped believing. And uh, walk is where it's at today. And I genuinely believe that we just started. You know, one of the big things that we're talking now is is about. You know, I feel like I'm just taking off, and how does that look? And um, because there's a group of people around me, and there's a group of people that are on this journey, and. You know, sometimes the things that I see and feel are so big and exciting that it it scares me. Never mind the team, Um, but we've done this five years and we're here today. Um, Walk is a privilege; it is a privilege, and we cannot take the onus off off that. that, that For some reason, um, God chose me in all of His um, thinking, and. And he, and he said, this is what I want you to do. And uh, I wouldn't have chosen for it, I'll be honest. I definitely wouldn't, uh, but I understand it, you know, I do. And, and then he appointed a wife and, um, and he, there's a group of people, it's a core team of people that work alongside us. And, and you wouldn't have picked any of these people, but they're all in the same boat. And uh, walk is based on John 21, being in a boat together. Um, the beautiful scripture um, well, the reason it's called walk is John 8.12 is that you know, people come out of, out of darkness into light and, and, um, and my, my life scripture is Philemon verse 6 may you actively share your faith um, so you, you, you understand the full understanding of Christ you receive the full understanding, I'm on a win-win and the more I share who I am in Christ and the more I believe and my faith and the more I understand about who I am in Christ. It's, it's, it's like a revolving thing for me. I, I can't lose. Uh, we teach people that John 21 is an important part of who we are. You know, God took a, a, a smashed up leader that was making crazy mistakes, that took everyone on a big jaunt, and he had a group of people in that boat with them that restored him back to who he was meant to be. And the beautiful thing about that scripture is that if we have a look at it properly, the person that was was Peter who took all those people on a merry old dance and they stuck with him and they heard from God not him and they helped him change direction they helped him do that and they helped him be restored and he was restored and they stood back and allowed him to get out the boat and go and feed with Jesus Christ and they just let him they let him go back into who he was meant to be they didn't take the glory they sat and watched it happen it's a beautiful teaching that we teach the many that who are you going to be in that boat because some people in that boat are going to be Peter that is going to time and time and time deny Christ and he's going to take us all on a merry-go-round and that's what he's going to do are you going to sit next to him are you going to help restore him and that's the great thing about um, about walk is we're in a big boat together and I have my position in the boat and other people have their position in the boat and um, sometimes I think was I the right person to be picked for that but hey I am and we help restore people so they can dine with Jesus. His timing's perfect, he built a fire, he collected that fire, he set the fire away, he got the temperature just right just for Peter to get out of the boat and bring the fish and then they sat and See, God, is he never wants to ever not know that he's in your life. And he will pull all the stops out. And we try to work that out in walk. You know, we, we, want, we want our guys to know that they are loved. Love doesn't always mean a big hug, by the way. Um, sometimes it's practical. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it's spiritual. Sometimes it's actually physical. Our guys do get physical with each other. You know, sometimes I have to step between them. And we have to go. That's not happening here. And it, it, I was once asked this crazy question on a train once day um, by another faith group, and um, and um, this 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 I met this woman and she said, Oh would you meet my husband? He's a teacher." And I went, "Yeah," and and I met this man and, and he asked me this very simple question: "How do you know that it's true?" Because I knew Jesus and he had Jesus in his faith, but he didn't. He couldn't work out whether it was true, and I went. I just know. And he looked at me and he went, I know that you know. Because he knew that I knew, see. He didn't understand it himself. And I didn't understand it, and I just said, I know. I know Jesus is the same as that I breathe. If I stopped breathing, I would die. If I stopped knowing Jesus, I would die. And, and that's how I know. I don't know all the answers. I might not be the theological person that you may be. I might not, not be the, the learned man here. Um, I might not be the guy that you know looks the way that someone else might look in, 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 in the church or a different faith group or in society. But there's one thing I definitely know, is that in a cell one day a priest gave me a Bible called the Gideon Bible and I opened up the Word of God. And four days later I was sitting in a prison cell with a guy called Darren and within a month and a half he led me to the Lord and he introduced me to Jesus and my life has never been the same. Um, that's how I know, and um, you can challenge me on that as much as you want, I will never come off that, that's what happened, this is where I'm at now, and do you know what, if I mess up tomorrow and I make a big, big mess of it, I still know that God loves me, I still know that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Saviour, and how do I know? I just know.
0: You have been listening to The Profile with Premier's Central Correspondent Rachel Matthews, thank you for joining us.